Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. And we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Trump is putting coal miners at risk from beyond the metaphorical grave. Democratic State Representative Chris England talks about the state of the Alabama Democratic Party. Right-wing talkers mock the economic concerns of women in Alabama and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Adam, my my mic seems like it's a bit turned up a bit a bit too loud. Ben, I don't know if you can I don't know if I'm if if maybe what I'm hearing in my headphones is is, is not exactly the same but it it feels like it's like a uh uh breaking at the top like if i speak to i i don't know but i don't know if that's right or not um if you want to be part of the program like it feels staticky if i talk loud but if you want to be part of the program we've got a phone number and the line is open you can call or text 844-899-TVLR that is 844-899-8857 you can also leave a voicemail throughout the week uh anytime anytime that is always available to you if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week then you can find us online uh we're anywhere you find anything online, all at the Valley Labor Report. All at the Valley Labor Report. Um, and we're also on TikTok now. We're on TikTok. We've got a TikTok. You can find us at TVLRFM. Um, so check us out there. Uh, Joe has been doing a great job, like clipping little itty bitty segments. We've been doing this for forever since we've been doing the thing on YouTube. But uh, but now he's doing little itty bitty like one two three minute clips on the TikTok, and he's doing a really good job. He's got some music in there. He's doing some sound effects. Sounds really good. So if you do the TikTok thing, you should follow us there as well. Um, just a reminder: your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program. Make a one-time donation or buy our new hat. You can go to tvlr.fm or our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Uh, so, Adam, let's start off with a blast from the past. I, I said that we're, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about Trump continuing continuing to put coal miners at risk after he has left office, which is a 
an impressive feat in a uh, you know in, in a morally neutral way. It is impressive. Uh, it is not a good kind of impressive. But let's go ahead and and play this clip from one of his rallies. I see over here Trump digs coal. Look at that. Trump digs coal. That's true. That's true. I do. Yeah. So you know, I think that what we can what we can see there is, or what we can imagine there is that there is an implied bosses at the end of that statement, right? I mean, you know, if I had to, you know how if I look at you and I say go, I just say go, there's an implied you as the subject, right? When he says Trump digs coal, there is an implied bosses at the end. Trump digs coal bosses. And I mean, to be fair, uh, Trump even did kind of lay that out in that same speech. Here he talks about ripping up Regulations, Adam, let's play that clip. They didn't have ridiculous regulations that put you out of business. They didn't have these ridiculous rules and regulations that make it impossible for you to compete. So we're going to take that all off the table, folks, and you better do well and you better compete and make me proud of you. Okay, you'll be proud of me. But make me proud of you. (laughs) Uh... Could you I, I this is something that I've never understood about people who like Trump because they're the they're that generally speaking, they're like the folks that um you know, that they are masculine and independent and manly. But this kind of like make me proud of you, you know, that's just so condescending. Like, screw you. I don't care if you're proud of me. Like Go, I, I don't care, but it, it's just that. You mean kind you don't of, you don't live and breathe to impress New York billionaires? I do not actually. I do not live and breathe to impress billionaires, and and the coal miners that I know don't either. To be fair, so um, now what I I think that probably the audience, what a lot of working folks in that audience, and and I don't doubt there are lots of working folks in that audience. What they're probably thinking, what they were probably thinking, is that, I don't know, he's going to get rid of, like, feeling regulations or something, right? Because that's what Republicans want you to believe, is that all these regulations, they're just absurd, they're silly, they're frou-frou, they're for women. But I would be willing to bet... I'd be willing to bet money. And and I mean, you know, call and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know that we do have coal miners that listen to this program. So so feel free to call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR if you think that I'm off base here. But I'd be willing to bet that if you went up to folks in that audience, you went up to actual real coal miners, not coal bosses, not, you know, the people that own the, own the mines. I'd be willing to bet that if you went up to folks in the audience – that are coal miners. And you said, hey, you know, do you reckon it ought to be easier for mine operators to avoid significant and substantial safety violations? I'm not talking about just, you know, a little piddly something or another. I'm talking about should mine operators be able to avoid significant and substantial safety violations more easily? I'd be willing to bet money that the answer to that from actual coal miners in the audience would be, what the hell? Why would I want that? That's that's stupid. Why would I want that? That doesn't make any sense. 
The bosses don't care about me. And, they, and, and what worker actually thinks that the government is too onerous <laughs> on their bosses as far as safety is concerned? I mean, that's not a thing that happens. Like that, you're not living in the real world if, if, if that's what you think workers feel like. So, uh, but that's exactly what the still Republican controlled, Trump appointee controlled Federal Mine Safety and Health Review Commission is doing right now. From an article in the, uh, oh, uh, so the Federal Mine Safety and Health Review Board is an independent agency that reviews legal disputes stemming from citations and fines against mining companies. From an article in the Huffington Post by labor reporter Dave Jameson, the commission is supposed to have five sitting members who serve staggered terms and adjudicate cases as a panel. By tradition, the president's party gets three members and the other party gets two. But right now, the agency only has three Senate-confirmed commissioners with a two-to-one GOP majority. The two Republican members, William Alfin and Marco Rajkovich, are longtime lawyers for mining companies. Oh, imagine that. (laughs) That's right. Who were the Trump Republican appointees? They were mining company lawyers. You've literally got foxes guarding the hen house. There is not, there is not a more apt analogy than this. Right. I mean, these are the people that if you're negotiating a contract or on the other side of the table, these are the people that if you get hurt on the job, will do everything in their power to deny you benefits. Yes. These are the people that when you take when you as a worker get injured on the job, you as a coal miner get injured down in the mines. These are the people that are going to be fighting against you. These are the people that are going to be saying that uh, you should just toughen up and get back to work on your broken legs. That These are the people that are going to be telling you that you don't deserve workers' compensation. These are the people that are going to be telling you that you should have been more responsible down in the mines. These are going to be the, the people that are doing everything they can to protect the boss's bottom line and keep money out of your pockets after you've been injured down in the coal mines. And these are the people that Donald Trump appointed to, <laughs> to the Federal Mine Safety and Health Review Board. I I just I just don't know what to say. I mean, before we even go into the merits of any individual case, of any individual anything or, or right, we should be able. I mean, just as rational adults who ostensibly care about other adults, about other people, about our families, about our we I it just seems so common sense. So common sense. That we should not have folks determining safety policy implementation who come from a background of fighting against worker safety. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. I, call me if I'm on if I'm off base. Because like I, I know that we've got coal miners that listen to the show. Call me if I'm off base, because I do not think I am. 
this seems this is crazy. This is Looney Tunes. But Trump loves coal miners. The he lo- won't appoint them to the commission. Right, right. But he loves them, of course. Of course. The lone Democrat is Art Trainer. He is a union lawyer formerly with the United Mine Workers of America. And he is sounding the alarm about a case involving a subsidiary of Peabody Energy. The case is Secretary of Labor v. Peabody Midwest Mining, LLC, if you want to look it up, where he says from the article again that the majority could set a precedent that makes it easier for mine operators to avoid significant and substantial safety violations, saving tens of thousands of dollars in potential fines and avoiding mine shutdowns. Trainer says that the majority's position would make it much harder to enforce a requirement that operators have underground shelters for miners in emergency situations. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the Republican Party, ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump Ladies and gentlemen, this is what they're pushing for. They're they're trying. I mean, just the 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 just the crassness of the thing. They're trying to make it more difficult to enforce a requirement that there are underground shelters in coal mines. Just the most common sense kind of thing that you should have an emergency shelter in, a, in every coal mine. And they're trying to make that more difficult to enforce. And they're trying to make it more easy, easy for coal mining companies to avoid significant and substantial safety violations. Crazy. The UMWA says that Republicans are holding up Biden's two nominees to the board. They have cleared the Senate committee, but have not made it to a floor vote. Now, I'm not understanding exactly the logistics of why his two nominees, why the Republicans are able to hold it up. Uh, but that's what, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know why the, the, the UMWA... You know, I mean, there may be a more conservative union than some, but I don't that, you know, I don't think that they would just just protect Republican U.S. senators. So, you know, I, I'm willing to take their word on this, um, but I don't understand exactly the logistics there. Uh, but so Biden has two nominees up that are <laughs> that are not coal mining company lawyers um, and the Republicans are holding them up. And he's been in office since January Yes, twenty twenty one. Well, th- we are well in to Biden's second year, and the Republicans are still holding up his appointees to the Federal Mine Safety and Health Review Board, uh, which which is giving Trump a uh, a de facto majority on the board. So the people that are determining the implementation of safety regulations, safety laws, as it relates to coal miners, are company lawyers. That is Donald Trump's legacy for coal miners. Putting them at risk long after he is gone. So that's something I'm sure he's proud of. Unironically, I'm sure he's proud of that. Uh... It's just I don't know I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Adam. But 
And like you said, foxes guarding the hen house. I mean, that, that really does say it all right here. And unfortunately, I think if we were to look at these other agencies across the federal government, it would be a very similar story. Yeah. I mean, how many people even know that there is such a thing as the Mine Safety Commission? Right. Uh, and there are boards and agencies like this for industry after industry where, uh, I, I mean, you don't have to give credit to the Republicans, but uh, in a way – you have to ad- admire the viciousness and uh, competence they've exerted in really destroying these agencies from the inside out mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah, yeah maintaining control o- over agencies and commissions when they're not even in control of Congress or the White House. Right. Um, you know, it would be nice if people who stood up for us as regular people uh, could be half as effective. Right, right. Yeah, uh, somebody in the chat, Rai Rai, in our YouTube chat, said uh, nothing he says has anything to do with coal workers. He just wants the industry itself to dominate other coal industries. Um, he wants those coal miners worked to death to compete. Uh, you know, I mean, that's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> so let's hit a number, another couple of quickies before we head to our first break. Starbucks workers had another big week last week on top of their standard feverish pace of unionization, union election filings, union wins, uh, the NLRB is seeking a bargaining order, which is extremely rare. Extremely rare. That's you, a big deal. Yeah. You'll remember how earlier this month the NLRB filed a complaint alleging Starbucks committed more than 200 violations of labor law in Buffalo alone. In that region alone, more than 200 violations of labor law. Let's go ahead and put that article up. Um, from the Huffington Post, Dave Jamison has another. It's Dave Jamison at the Huffington Post. I mean, the Huffington Post is like kind of a weird outlet as far as sometimes they have a lot of clickbaity stuff. But Dave Jamison consistently, consistently puts, uh, puts out really good content, right. really good reporting. I have a lot of respect for him and and – I follow his work uh, 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 quite a lot. Yeah, I really echo those sentiments. I mean, don't hold it against him that he writes yeah. for HuffPost. <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean, you got to get a paycheck. So. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> a legitimately good labor reporter. His work product work. speaks for itself, for sure. Uh, the title Starbucks Union Busting was so bad, it, it, <laughs> it forced uh, the NLRB says it should be forced to bargain. Uh, so last week, that complaint... The complaint that was filed about a month ago, uh, uh, alleging more than 200 violations of labor law. Last week, that complaint was amended to include a gazelle bargaining order at one location. That location, Camp Road in Hamburg, New York, voted against unionizing by 12 to 8, but only after terminating six pro-union workers, disciplining and surveilling others, closing stores, and changing work policies. Prior to these flagrant violations of labor law, Lindy Le- Linda Leslie, a regional director for the NLRB, noted that a majority of the workers had signed authorization cards indicating their support for unionizations. And that, from another article in the Huffington Post by Dave Jamison, the firing of union supporters and other forms of retaliation make it so that traditional remedies 
will not do in the case of Camp Road. She says workers made their desire to unionize clear by a majority signing union cards and that Starbucks should therefore have to bargain with the workers, with the union. So now, like I said, this is a gazelle bargaining order which is different from a Joy Silk bargaining order that the NLRB general counsel Jennifer Abruzzo is trying to resurrect. We went we 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 did a deep dive on the resurrection of the Joy Silk doctrine a couple of weeks ago on the show. You can see our uh, go to our YouTube page for for that breakdown. But super super brass tacks. Basically the difference of the Gazelle doctrine versus the Joy Silk doctrine is that to issue a gazelle bargaining order, you, it has to be a lot worse, and that—that's basically the brass tacks, the the um, you know, just the bare knuckle kind of bare bones stuff is for a gazelle bargaining order to be issued. It has to be way, way worse. The violation violations of labor law have to be way more systemic, um, and 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 that's what happened in this case. Uh, so because of the incredibly high bar for gazelle bargaining orders, they're incredibly rare. Um, so this is a this is this is definitely big a big deal for the workers, and it could turn one of uh, one of Howard Schultz's few W's into an L. Uh, Starbucks workers have been winning. 80-something percent of the elections that they've had. They have now formed almost 80 unions, and they filed for election at almost 300 locations. Um, they've had something like 90 elections, and they've won about 80 of them. So uh, this, would be, this would be really great. Jameson does throw some cold water on us before we get to celebrating too much, though. He says that uh, the complaint will be litigated before an administrative law judge who will decide whether Starbucks should have to bargain with workers at the store on Camp Road in Hamburg, New York. The process is subject to appeals and could take years. Not only that, but even just this complaint with the bargaining order took six months to prepare. And now keep in mind, folks, that Starbucks could stop this at any time right. if they so chose. They could easily right. announce they would recognize the unions. They would uh, bargain with the unions. All of this is happening uh, because Starbucks is you know, digging their heels in and, and they're determined to mm. fight the union drive. Uh, by any means necessary. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, unionized Tech Temp in the chat says, I'm so pumped about that bargaining order. Uh, indeed, you should be, although, you know, take it with a, uh, uh, be a little bit sober about it, even though you should be pumped. <laughs> um, Strong McAllen says, solidarity from South Carolina. Indeed, uh, South Carolina Starbucks workers just won a union election last week. Eve Gusman says, I don't go to Starbucks, but if any of my local 20 Starbucks do, I will go and show my support. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, that is that is exactly what you should do. And that is exactly what the workers asking are asking for you to do. Um Starbucks workers in Birmingham are having their election next week in person, Wednesday and Thursday, and they are having a – and the Birmingham DSA is having a sip-in today at 3 o'clock to go show them that you support their unionization efforts. So um, so you should uh, – uh, 
uh, you should do that if you're in Birmingham. And if you're not in Birmingham, More Perfect Union has a really good map uh, that shows where are Starbucks workers unionizing. You can just Google where are Starbucks workers unionizing, More Perfect Union, and it'll it, it'll show you the map, and you can find one and see if there's one close to you that you can go and 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 support the workers. And if you do that, if you go to a uh, location with a public union campaign. Don't do this at a, at a place without a public union campaign. But if you go to a place with a public union campaign, you should order your drink or your food under the name Union, Union Yes, Union Strong, Solidarity, something like that. Um, and In our interview last week with a couple of the folks from the Birmingham Starbucks, they sort of alluded to efforts that aren't public yet but are happening across the state. Yes. So yes. stay tuned. If there's not a local Starbucks yet that's publicly organizing, maybe it's already in the works and we don't know it yet. Um, and also just be thinking if you know anyone who works at a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It's possible that you know somebody who works at a store that hasn't organized yet, uh, but maybe you could start having a conversation with them and, and see what's up. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Um Thanks to everybody uh, watching on Facebook and on YouTube. Facebook, we've got Joe Marshall and uh, Martha and Mel Sutton in the chat. Appreciate y'all. Good morning. So um, that brings me to my next topic, though, which is that uh, 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 justice delayed is justice denied, especially in cases like the one at Starbucks. Because working folks, we do not have you know, unlike the uh, <laughs> unlike the coke funded radio guy who had a commercial before we went on the air, who literally he literally gets money from the Koch brothers. <laughs> I mean, that's not a that's not a just a generic like oh this guy gets gets money from billionaires. This, this guy literally, in the proper definition of the word, gets money from Koch brothers. Unlike people like that, people like you and me. Because I'm just a regular worker. I do not get paid to do this. Unions and listeners sponsor the show. All of that money goes into running the show. It does not go to me. I don't take any money from this. People like you and me, we don't have the time. We don't have the money to just sit around for years, even for months, even for a month, waiting for resolution When our rights are violated. If protections of our rights to organize are to mean anything, if protections to our right of our right to freely associate, as is given by the Constitution, to speak freely, as is given by the Constitution, are to mean anything, the remedies have to be swift. For that to happen, we need two things. We need an aggressive NLRB and a funded in LRB. Let's look at the Starbucks stores in the Buffalo area from an article by Maxwell Parrott in Jacobin about how the delays hurt workers. The complaint details violations from at least 18 Starbucks locations out of a total of 20 in the Buffalo area. Of those, four stores have conclusively voted in favor of a union, one has voted against, and another is waiting on a contested vote count. These figures reveal that the majority of stores allegedly affected by Starbucks anti-union actions in Buffalo have not yet filed for election. 
How is that going to affect workers at stores without campaigns yet? From the article again, Abruzzo described how unlawful anti-union campaigns often start with intimidation and then intensify to retaliation. She wrote that to live up to the NLRB's mission of protecting worker rights, it must be able to do so at the earliest stages of organizing before any workers are terminated. Obviously. And that did not happen in Buffalo. To stop the drawn-out process from obstructing organizing efforts, Abruzzo has urged regional offices to aggressively seek injunctions which had been steadily declining for the past decade until last year. The board typically seeks injunctive relief when employers have tried to slow down union momentum, an outcome that can't necessarily be reversed through a court order. This is what Liebman described as the whole point of an injunction. Liebman is a former NLRB chair under Obama. That there isn't irreparable harm created that cannot really be remedied down the road whenever it is uh, that the NLRB can get around to deciding the case. The NLRB has to be able to act and act swiftly. And it should act swiftly even with a bias towards workers, because let's think about think about just for a second, what are the ramifications if the NLRB is too um, is too loosey goosey with enforcing our right to unionize? If the NLRB is is too proactive and 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 enforce and, and makes it so that workers cannot be fired. For organizing in too many, like, let's say that somebody is organizing and then they actually do something wrong that would normally actually get them fired, but the NLRB protects them because they're in a union campaign. This is kind of the worst case scenario, right, that you can imagine. The worst case scenario is that an actually bad employee, the employer has to keep them on the payroll for the duration of the union campaign. That is the worst case scenario. What does that actually mean? That that the employer loses a small amount of profit and fires them later. What does it mean in the opposite case? Let's go the the worst case scenario, which is what what the status quo is. The status quo is basically the worst case scenario, and, and which is what, which is that workers who are performing well, who are performing satisfactorily, are fired illegally. Illegally, and two, one, one, two, three years later, the NLRB comes out with a decision that says, "Yeah, you were illegally fired." The uh, district courts agree, and your employer has to offer you reinstatement. Well, that doesn't do that doesn't do diddly squat for me. Three years later, I could be homeless. Three years later. I'm not going to have a job. I, I would have a different job three years later. I can't just sit around for three years while I wait for the government to enforce the damn law. I can't do that. I'm a worker. I live paycheck to paycheck. So I become homeless or I get a different job. And that's exactly what happens. Studies have shown that only 6% of people who are offered reinstatement as a result of violations of labor law actually take the job. 
because they've had to get a different job and they've had to adjust their life around that job. 6%. Does that sound like law and order to you? Does that sound like our rights are being protected? No, of course not. Of course not. And they also need funding. Uh, the NLRB has had, when you account for inflation, something like a 30%, a 30% cut since 2010. We have so many more workers. We have so many more people filing for election since 2010. And they have 30% fewer resources. The Birmingham NLRB office would be fully staffed at, what was it that Joseph Webb told us, the NLRB attorney that we spoke to? He, he said it would be fully staffed at 11 or 12 employees. Do you know how many staff they have at the NLRB region office in Birmingham? Four. They have four people running an entire region. Four people. For all the workers in, in Alabama. Four people. It's insane. It's absolutely, absolutely insane. Um, so the, the Biden administration is trying to push for some more funding for the NLRB. And, of course, Republicans are fighting against it again. You know, look, there's a difference between the two parties. I'm not, you know, I'm not a big, like, booster of, of, of either one. But there's a difference, right? And, you know, so anyway. Um, let's... <laughs> <laughs> seen somebody uh put loosey goosey on a soundboard for the show <laughs> maybe we maybe we can do that um i don't, i'm not understanding uh nick in the in the youtube chat unions are for class re resolution malfeasance as corporations took over disability and then employee benefits as a cost of goods sold because it is income tax free i don't i'm not i'm not really sure that that i understand that um D, uh, DL Sandero asks, uh, are there any updates for the Amazon Bessemer union vote? Uh, no, there are not at this point. Let's gonna go ahead and take a break. And on the other side, we're going to be talking to State Representative Chris England about the state of the Alabama Democratic Party. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. 
Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. I'm all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller. If you have something to add, you can give us a call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. You can also text us at the same number. That is 844-899-8857. And you can also also reach out to us in the chat. You You can... Throw a little message in the chat on, on YouTube or Facebook. We we monitor those, um, and and uh, we might read that or or we might respond if you've got a question there in the chat. Um, Adam, have we got have we got Chris? Yes, Chris, Chris is, is on the line. Fantastic. Hopefully, he can hear us okay. Good deal, good deal. So, Chris England is the Alabama State House Representative for District seventy in Tuscaloosa, and he is the chair of the Alabama Democratic Party. Chris, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Y'all, y'all can hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, thanks for having me this morning. Um, Absolutely. Glad to, glad to have glad you. To so talk to us about yourself for a second. This is the first time that you've been on the program. You're from Tuscaloosa, and our audience is fairly concentrated in North Alabama, uh, so there may be some folks that aren't too familiar with you. Talk to us about yourself. 
So, well, first, good morning, everybody. Um, I am from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, I've been in the legislature since uh, 2006. Um, I was first elected uh, when I, at 29 years old, um, and I have run, I'm running for free election, and I will probably be one of the only politicians you'll meet that has never had any opposition. Um, don't know if that's because I'm doing such a great job or just people just don't care, but I'll take the, I'll take them doing a fantastic job. There you um, go. <laughs> uh, and I currently serve on the Judiciary Committee, um, the Insurance Committee, and the Public Safety Committee at the legislature. And I was uh, elected as party chair um, in November of uh, 2019. So let me know just some basics about me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a practicing attorney and a lifelong Democrat. Yeah, well, I, I did want to start off by thanking you, Um I see that you've got your uh, UMWA yeah. shirt on there, and you have been probably, probably the most vocal political supporter of the coal miners. Uh, you've spoken at a few of their events, and I've seen more than once the party's social media be used to direct donations to the strike fund. Uh, local parties have sent supplies to the strike pantry, um, and just yesterday I saw the party twitter shout out the sip in that is scheduled for tomorrow or for today to support the unionizing baristas in birmingham who have a vote next week and adam you said that you've got i I don't think that i'm on the email list for the for the democrats but you said that you've got an email a couple of times about sending money to the strike fund isn't that right yeah i believe so and actually we were on the air maybe a week or two ago and got a message about supporting unions Mm. uh from the democratic party and that was uh definitely a a nice thing to see and i even sent in a little reply there just to thank you guys for doing that um it's uh i think one of the things about a especially a southern democratic party um, is making sure that you've got relationships built with the people who are supposed to be your natural allies, um, especially considering that um, there's been just a erosion of worker rights across the country. That to this to that end, you've seen many um, organizations, companies, businesses, um, and you know one of the things I'm proud to see is that people are starting to kind of stand up and fight, and, and fight back a little bit and trying to organize and you see efforts in Amazon and Bessemer, we were supportive of those and uh, Starbucks and also over in Brookwood. Um, and to be honest with you, some of the folks over in Brookwood are people I've known my entire life. And I, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense to me to see people that sacrificed pay um, their health um, and many other things to keep a company open that now can't expect the same in return. It's it's um, it's really ridiculous to me. And what's even more ridiculous is that we don't have um, every one of our elected officials, both on both sides, um, speaking out against a out of state hedge fund operator that you know is basically has made it clear that they've got the resources, um, they can pay, they can compromise, and but they much rather break the strike and break the union, which to me, it's just, it's wrong. And I think we should have more people speaking out and more people in support of the folks that aren't working right right now. I mean, when you have BlackRock, the world's largest private equity firm, telling Warrior Met, okay, you know, you're going, it's time to, it's time to settle. 
Uh, you're losing profits because of your obstinance here. I think yeah. that um, you know, <laughs> I think that it's it it it, it, it seems like it, it should be an easy thing for politicians, like you said, on either side to support. And you're just you're not you're not seeing it. You know, one of the stations we're on a few different stations, but one of the stations that we're on is WVNN. It's a conservative talk radio station. And so because we're on this station, I listen to it all the time, um, which is probably bad for my health. I'm sure it it anyway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and nothing. They don't say anything, nothing about it. And these are people that are supposed to be, you know, they love coal miners. Is what they say, and nothing about you wouldn't if if the people that listen to WVNN if they only get their news from the radio, then Yikes. me being on the radio is the that would be the only time that they hear about this, um, because sometimes I'm a guest on some of their shows and I'll bring it up basically every time I come on. Uh, but if I'm not on, if I'm not a guest, or if I'm not hosting this show right now, they never hear about it. It's insane. Well, it, it, it shouldn't be lost on anyone that um, a company is willing to lose profits, close a mine to not treat their employees fairly. Um, but it also, it should be, it should bother everyone that some your fellow Alabamians have been on strike for over a year now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, everyone should know about it, and I think everybody should be talking about it. And I think uh, Warrior Met should be shamed publicly uh, right. for how they're treating the employees there. Yeah, so this is the kind of thing, you know, supporting workers, making the party um, m- m- making the party more relevant. That's kind of a big part of your reason for being the party chair in the first place. You ran a contested election in, in 2018. There was a lot of controversy around that, and you were finally seated, like you said, in 2020. Um, and, and you won out basically on that promise of reinvigorating the party, making it relevant again. Um, how do you feel about how do you feel about uh, your how do you feel about that four years out, three years out from uh, winning your election? So we are, I mean, for lack of a better term, we were in, we're engaging in a in, in a very long um, rebuild um, because for even though the Democratic Party was in control of the legislature and partly in control of just about every branch of government for over 140 years. Um, there wasn't exactly party building going on there more so than it was candidate support. Um, Cause there wasn't a brand being built. There wasn't a, a foundation on a policy to principles or democratic principles per se, as much as it was just making sure that we kept incumbents in our, in a, we had a majority for a number's sake. So when 2010 hit, and there was a vacuum created um, on messaging from the Republicans, very effective messaging on the Republican side. Um, there really wasn't a, a foundation that you could retreat to and say, this is what Democrats are doing or have done for you. And it's largely the same thing that we're dealing with now across the country because we're, Democrats seem to be afraid to speak about the successes uh, that we've experienced under the Biden administration and you know, Democratic legislatures across, across the country. Democrats tend to focus on maybe you'll see the results and ignore the rhetoric. 
Meanwhile, Republican colleagues use the rhetoric to create the results. So uh, whether or not you've been sold on you know, changing the judiciary so you can protect the uh, cultural war that you're, you're, you're waging or using um, division to target people to capitalize off of that, you see the results of it in our commercials. So uh, a Demo- the Democrats' struggle for relevancy here is to try to maneuver uh, messaging through rhetoric and try to get people to turn their attention back to the things that matter the most, like expanding Medicaid, um, providing quality education, equal opportunity, regardless of what your zip code is or where you live, and things like that. So um, what we wanted to do from the very beginning is start filling that vacuum with opposition so people can can know that there is a competing viewpoint, a competing perspective. And it's been difficult to say, to say the least, but I think now you see with our social media activity, the emails, the statements, and so forth, that when there are prevailing issues of the day, you start hearing more from Democrats in our perspective. Um, and I think it's growing. And, I, and I'm very excited about the fact that, you know, we, we've been able to talk about some of these issues and slow some of the more extreme things down um, and also draw attention to them so people understand that if we can't affect it legislatively, we can certainly shame you into doing the right thing sometimes. So right. I feel better about that now. Um, but I'm not, well, gotta be yeah, you mentioned that, you know, you, you mentioned that the, the national Democrats are, are, are undergoing a similar process to the state uh, in, in Alabama. And, you know, a, a Adam had a, a, a question of, about that, that, you know, with with the national Democrats, given Biden's low approval rating, uh, Congress is even lower Um and you know you you mentioned that that you felt like there's some successes and and, and I feel like for the for for a lot of folks they're not seeing those or they're they're not being told about them. Right. It's easy for national Democrats to be. It's easy easy to see how those would be like a liability in Alabama. What are your thoughts on you know national politics versus state politics, uh, the national party versus the state party? Well, you know, you need to be able to say that the reason that we are experiencing the economy that we are right now and the successes in Alabama and also the fact that we've got a very low um, employment rate is because um, the federal investment in our state and, you know, a lot of our uh, Congress folks, for, for example, are touting the benefits of the money and pretending like they came up with it by themselves. Um, Democrats in the Biden administration, um, if you've got projects going on across the state of Alabama right now that uh, are being directly paid for by the federal government as a result of actions taken by the Biden administration. And I don't think anybody should be afraid to talk about those things. Um, But at the same time, you know, uh, because we're in such a dramatic super minority and the numbers indicate that Republicans, this is a bright red state. Um, oftentimes, the messaging uh, betrays the, the, the mission that we have here in Alabama in terms of having how we communicate with our, our, our folks. Um, and we're often sacrificed 
in red states um, because, you know, I, I quite often we're only focusing on winning elections versus winning discussions, creating great policy and actually convincing people that our ideas are better. To that end, um, you know, we are often sacrificed to the point where, you know, there's not any real attention paid to states like Mississippi and Alabama, but the worst, the, the um, abortion statute that is essentially going to overturn Roe v. Wade based on all we're seeing came from Mississippi. Um, so we ignore uh, our plight here in Southern and red states to our, to our own demise. So um, uh, the, the recent DNC with Jamie Harrison's election um, has provided some support uh, more than I think we've seen in the past, but I mean, there's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot more resources necessary for us to begin breaking uh, the Republican supermajority here and start actually competing statewide. Adam? Well, yeah, I think on that question, um, let's just start there. The GOP currently controls all of state government. They have, as you mentioned, a supermajority in the legislature. They control most of our local governments. They dominate the airwaves. They have their own press, like Yellowhammer, 1819. They have their own think tanks, which can, of course, get in the press whenever they want and get in front of legislators. And uh, while we don't talk about it as much, there's a network of churches, frankly, that reinforce their message every Sunday. And on the flip side, you have Democrats who are proposing policies such as some of the ones you mentioned today, Medicaid expansion, uh, legalizing gambling in the lottery, legalizing marijuana. These are things that would objectively improve quality of life in Alabama. I mean, there's just it's there. It's the facts. It would make life better here in this state. But given the far right's just ideological dominance in Alabama, how do Democrats break through that? And I'd love to know kind of what you're thinking so far now that you've had some time uh, as the chair. Uh, what do you think in terms of how, how can Democrats break through that stranglehold? Well, <clears throat> I mean, that's a great point. Great question. And, and it, honestly, it starts locally. It starts grassroots and it starts build from there. And um, from Doug Jones's election, although we did not get the result that we wanted, um, we did see some trends developing that were positive. Um, the, the turnout on the Democratic side um, increased tremendously. But we also saw pockets um, in different areas, uh, especially in the Huntsville area and in, in the suburbs of Birmingham, and also even in the, in the Auburn-Lee County area where we saw um, great turnout, better results, and to the point where it creates some op- optimism in legislative races going forward that um, there are some chances to flip a few seats. And first and foremost, I think one of the most important things is um, breaking the Republican supermajority. Um, at this point, um, with the supermajority, you know, they can operate without Democrats even being in the building. And so oftentimes in debates like that, they're only debating um, extreme and moderate extreme, if that makes sense. So breaking that Republican supermajority will start giving us a foothold um, in some of those discussions, which will then create the momentum necessary to start actually winning other places. Um, So that's a I think I think there are opportunities there just just based upon numbers. Uh, but 
I think most importantly, though, um, we just can't be afraid to continue to push back on and point out extremism. We can't be afraid to point out that uh, Republicans at times are, are, are most times are not operating in the best interest of their constituents, but operating in the best interest of what continues to get them elected. And those are two completely different things. And it's going to take work. It's going to take investment. It's going to take actual um, people running for office and not being afraid of potentially losing. Because in this situation, when you're rebuilding from the ground up, winning has to be redefined as not just being successful in an election, but also defining what the debate is, defining the terms of the debate. Um, what's interesting, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when, when Walt Maddox ran against Kay Ivey, um, some of the platform positions that he uh, articulated in his campaign were adopted and passed by Kay Ivey in our first couple of sessions, whether it be dealing with the, uh, what she felt like was a prison problem or passing a tax for roads and bridges or coming out in support of a lottery. Those were things that Walt was talking about in his campaign. So sometimes you winning doesn't necessarily, it can't be defined by, you know, success in terms of winning and losing the election versus also impacting the debate. So uh, we've got to be aggressive about that. You cannot be afraid to say that we're Democrats and this is what we stand for. Yeah, I think I, I really, really agree with you about that. I think that it's important to have the messages out there and to be strident about, you know, what you and, and really make a, you know, make a delineation between Republicans and Democrats. I think that that's important and and I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to me that that you know, folks are going to get elected as Democrats in Alabama by pretending to be Republicans or being Republican like you know if they if they wanted a Republican they just vote for the Republican but right. so on the you know the idea of, of framing the debate do you feel like there is a place for things like messaging bills you know one of the things that y'all really fought against in the last legislature and you were successful is defeating the anti-riot bill um, which uh would be very harmful for for citizens protesting their government and for workers protesting their bosses. Um, and so obviously we were very opposed to that at the Valley Labor Report and, and in our unions. Um, but it, it seems to me that perhaps the conversation could have been reoriented if there was introduced, let's say, a uh, a constitutional speech bill drafted – Similarly to the constitutional carry bill, mm-hmm. removing abilities for the ability for municipalities to stop folks from speaking and protesting, removing the ability for a certain T- Tuscaloosa County judge to issue injunctions against striking minors and mm-hmm. make Republicans defend that attack on free speech, that attack by a Republican judge on coal miners. And, and they didn't have to do that. There wasn't a, recin- a single Republican that was ever asked about or, or made to answer for the fact that their party was fighting against free speech. Their party was fighting against coal miners and their party was trying to, you know, they just they just didn't have to answer for that. That's a, I mean, I think it's a great point. Um, and on, on, on various issues, we do as a House caucus, um, file legislation in order to try to put them on defense 
on several issues. But I think that's a fantastic idea. And, you know, uh, maybe you and I can kind of talk offline about how to draft something that would point out the 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 irony in the party that's supposed to be about freedom, um, passing legislation to stop it. <laughs> so or to curtail it. Um, and I think, I mean, that's a great idea. And I think, you know, you've seen Democrats, especially passing, introducing legislation about voting rights, about guns, about um, ending some of these um, ridiculous holidays and people we celebrate that, you know, in, in attempts to do what you're talking about. And I think to kind of expand that discussion, we do need to introduce legislation that um, not necessarily, uh, responds in kind, but actually points out the hypocrisy and, and puts forth sound policy where they do have to answer for some of the more extreme positions that they're taking. Yeah. And and, and you also mentioned uh, about breaking the supermajority. I mean, that, that's that's definitely got to be the first step. And, you know, I mean, just from my perspective, and, and this is not at all that I think that the last leadership was great, but in 2018, it seemed like the slate of candidates was just so much, just so much more robust and energetic and vibrant and real. Like they were, you know, and, and this year, I just like, I don't see that up or down the ballot. I mean, there's on my Democratic primary ballot in the county that I'm in, I don't think there is a single non statewide Democrat. Every single uh, Democrat that's going to be on the ballot for me is uh, is running statewide, and these are the only person that I know is Will Boyd, and and Will Boyd is great. I love Will Boyd. He he's a great friend of labor, but you know the 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 name recognition isn't there. The and and the up and I mean in in 2018 the there were a lot of candidates running for state house and for state senate, and it just you know. I'm just not really seeing that this cycle. So what what has the party been doing, you know, between when you were elected chair and now to try to make and uh, to try to encourage people to run, to try to build up candidates? And why haven't why haven't we been able to kind of see the fruits of that uh, of that strategy? Um, well, we have we, we went out and. um We've recruited candidates. Um, we had candidate trainings through the party. Uh, I can tell you personally, I've been turned down more than I was when I was asking girls to go to prom with me. Um, I mean, it's it's been difficult. Um, and I, I think part of that is because the landscape changed um, after Doug won, and then he lost spending $15 million and basically well-known incumbent with resources um, and then for him to lose in the same way that many others had lost, uh, I think had a significant impact on the decisions that many viable candidates were uh, who were thinking about running decided, like, I just, it's not, it's not feasible. It doesn't make sense. So um, talking to many people, statewide candidates and legislative candidates alike, um, so we, we were getting the same responses. Um, and it's a difficult decision. I mean, running for statewide office or running for local office is, is a very difficult thing. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not well, running for office. So. Well, <laughs> and, you know, uh, I think anybody that makes that decision now, you know, you probably have to question their um, sanity. Um, but right. you, you, running for office is not an easy thing. It's not a safe thing. And it's not a comfortable thing. 
So for the people who did decide to do so, uh, we've got several candidates running for governor, several candidates running for U.S. Senate. We've got several candidates running for uh, Congress, and we've got a great slate of legislative candidates that I think are strong enough to break that supermajority. And, and I think you'll see some of the results of those uh, that were candidates we're working with in North Alabama, especially to try to break it. Um, but you're right. Uh, the slate of candidates from 2018 to now has definitely changed. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the realities are changing. And I think people are taking that last race that they saw statewide with resources and, and a well-known candidate and watching him losing, losing that way certainly suppressed a lot of excitement about whether or not you're going to run. And look, when we were, when we took over this office, we were very clear that this is not a two-year thing or one-year thing. This is a 10-year rebuild that's going to take breaking the foundation, losing hard, but changing the narrative so we can create more candidates in the future. One of the things that you've done since taking office is uh, drastically increase the staff of the state party. When you took office, uh, there was one full-time staffer, I believe, and now there's 14, if my information is right. Uh, what are what are they doing, and how are you know how do you feel like that investment has been paying off? Um, I think we have a fantastic staff. Uh, those wonderful emails that people are tired of getting from me. Um, the social media presence, the actual organizing of campaigns and, and, and county co- committees and putting out fires across the state, doing our data, creating a database of emails. And actually, uh, over the course of the last year, we've got the largest recurring donor base that we've ever had. Um, I mean, those things are all due to the fact that we've got a working staff in place. Uh, so the messaging, um, the organizing, the trainings, the the fact that the candidate recruitment um, and the fact that we've got somebody in the office that not only answers the phone, but also answers questions or knows how to answer them, get those answers. Um, I think are a lot of the benefits you're seeing from the staff. Um, so going forward, it wasn't going to be, we weren't going to be able to do anything at all. Um, just having one full-time person sitting in the office. Um, it's going to, it was going to take, uh, like they say, take a village. Um, and we, we, we had to get people on the ground to do things like clean up our email database um, and, and things like that in order to, again, try to build a foundation for the party to build from. You mentioned the county parties and, and, and stuff like that. What are y'all doing to support the rebuilding of, of, of county parties? Um, as you know, I, I think there are some counties where no party exists and, and yeah. it hasn't existed for for a while. What are you all doing to kind of revitalize the lower levels of the state party? Um, we're certainly helping uh, many county parties um, redo their bylaws um, and reconstitute themselves so they can start meeting. Um, but many people don't know that the county parties uh, are responsible for administering local primaries. So we're trying to get make sure that when they have a support system in place, when something happens, um, we're dealing with several issues with that right now. Um, we also, we have a liaison that works with our county parties to try to reorganize them to make sure that they're in compliance and that they're capable of actual helping candidates. Um, and to that end, um, it's something that we've been working on for months. Um, so uh, we organize monthly um, county party chair meetings. Um, obviously, some attend, some don't. But we are, I mean, aggressively and actively um, trying to recreate a 67 county strategy 
through our county party so um, our candidates have resources that they can pull from when they're running for office. What is the plan to support candidates who've decided to run this year? What are y'all doing for them? Well, we've already, from for the ones that don't have opposition, we've already given them access to Vote Builder, um, which essentially uh, would cost you thousands of dollars. But, you know, the party is giving those candidates, to, to the best of our ability, a free access to it and the help to manage it. And also logistical support. Um, several candidates have reached out to us about, you know, how to manage a social media campaign, how to fundraise, um, what they can and can't do and how to do it. And we provided logistical support to those candidates as well to answer some of the basic questions. Also help make connections for those folks. Now, obviously we don't, we can't get involved in a contested primary with multiple Democrats, but if you are running and uh, you don't have democratic opposition and you're headed to the general um, you've got a resource there to help you answer some of the, uh, the basic questions about what you can and can't do, how to do it, um, helping you organize, uh, helping you get a social media campaign together, helping you. Um, and we've helped candidates find um, campaign managers and, and, and so forth. So um, we're just trying to be as much of a resource as possible for candidates that are running. Uh, Representative, I wanted to ask on behalf of quite a few listener comments that we've already received this morning, which is that given the lack of candidates in quite a few local races and even in some state races, what would you say to listeners who aren't sure if it's even worth it to participate in the primary next week or, or maybe even in the general election in November? Well, there are statewide candidates on the on, on the ballot for governor, for Senate, um, and for attorney general and for uh, judge ranks. Now, our Democratic and uh, Secretary of State, now our um, candidates for Secretary of State, Attorney General, and Supreme Court are unopposed. But um, the ones for governor and U.S. Senate need your support. And I'm pretty sure most of you guys, um, this is not just a statewide election, it's also a local election. That means county commissioners, sheriffs, and many other local officials are also on your ballot that need your support. Um, so uh, you need to participate in the primary and make sure that not only are you supporting your statewide Democrat of your choice, but also your local county commissioner, um, your local um, legislator, because uh, there's, there's a few contested primaries in the Democratic primary on that side. And also get to know those folks because um, they're going to be the better choice going into November. Uh, we've got some folks that are not, uh, you know, not super pleased with that listen to the show that aren't super pleased with with Democrats um, at the state level and at the national level. What would you say to folks like that who are um, either members of third parties or uh, or considering supporting third parties or, you know, just aren't aren't terribly interested in the. You know, in in working with the Democrats at all, uh, what what would you say to folks like that? <laughs> this answer is probably going to surprise you, but you know, um, one of the things about me is I don't really mix words. Uh, I I share their frustration. Um, you know, uh, in the part in, in the politics of trying to find ways to get elected versus trying to find ways to to make a difference, um, it's very difficult for people to find a place. In, in those two political major political parties that um, match some of the most fundamental um, 
things that you're concerned about. But what I can tell you is, you know, as you pointed out, Jacob, earlier, there is a difference. Um, When you're talking about things like labor rights, I mean, I think it's obvious who supports those. When you talk about a woman's right to choose, I think it's obvious who supports that. And over the time, it's become very obvious that one party is about freedom of convenience, meaning that if you look like me, act like me, think like me, talk like me, we got it. We'll, we can talk. But if you don't, we just want you to leave. Um, there's a place for you in the Democratic Party. So um, I share your frustration as, as a Democrat in Alabama, obviously watching what goes on in national politics um, and not seeing the same aggression. Uh, about voting rights that I think is necessary in order to protect everything else that we're fighting for. It's frustrating. Um, and not seeing the same activity on women, protecting a woman's right to choose and so forth. But I can tell you that your participation is necessary. And wherever you decide to participate, in whatever party you're part of, I want to make sure that you look at the candidate and pick the candidate that matches what you believe and, and, and what you think is most important foremost. And also, if any candidate is engaging in this in this reckless rhetoric, instead of telling you what they're going to do when they get the position, it should automatically disqualify them. Yeah, I think I, I really, you know, seeing some of these ads from some of the Republican candidates, I feel like they think that they that they're. I feel like they think people are stupid, and it's it's very frustrating. Um, so I I appreciate your time. I. Um, I, I do appreciate your time, and uh, we had we had this. The, there's a fella in the chat who's been who's been asking this question a lot, and and I'm not, you know, y'all are in the super minority, so. I, but there there have been some things that that passed in the Alabama legislature. So he he's asking for one thing that y'all were able to pass in the last session. Um, and, and so do you have do you have anything uh, that passed through the Alabama legislature that y'all were really pushing or y'all were really fighting for that did pass or um, something that you wanted to highlight before we let you go? Um, I think to be again to be very honest, I think our most of our progress this session came from killing bills and changing bad bills. Um, you know, it's very difficult in that in this environment for a legis- Democratic legislator to introduce legislation and get it passed. Um, over the course of the last four years, I can only speak for myself. I've got legislation through, but it's been, you know, watered down from the lens of mm-hmm. what's acceptable to um, a Rep- a Republicans. And, right. you know, uh, but so for us, and I'll, I'll take this as a, you know, we we managed to effectively wage a campaign to stop the protest bill. I think that's one of the worst bills that we've ever seen. Um, and I think also uh, we were able to cut some of the rough edges off of the concealed carry legislation in the session, um, which is, I mean, I think one of the worst bills I've ever seen. But it was, uh, if you can imagine the version that passed, it was much worse. Um, and, and many others, um, but I, I, I do, I, I understand what he's saying. I, and, I, and, you know, being in the legislature, introducing legislation, that's reasonable and fair. And it puts the, puts the focus on people first and watching it not even get a, a, a debate in committee is frustrating. 
which goes to that point. We need to break the Republican supermajority. And we have candidates across the state of Alabama running for legislative seats that will make that possible. Uh, Chris England, representative for Alabama House District 20. We appreciate your time. Hope to have you back on in the future. Thank you. Um, And I really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. All right, folks. Yeah, that's uh, Chris England, representative for Alabama House District 20, chair of the Alabama Democratic Party. Uh, We've had a great show so far uh, talking Starbucks, Trump, Alabama Democrats. If you missed any of it, uh, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to the full show uh, or catch clips that interest you. Uh, Just search for the Valley Labor Report. And now we're on TikTok. We're going to go to a break really quick. And um, when we come back... During the break, I'm going to decide whether or not I want to talk about abortion or I want to riff about the elections on Tuesday. We will see, so stay tuned. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio program this is the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host and fellow agitator is adam keller if you've got anything to add give us a call our phone line is open the phone number is 844-899-TVLR again that phone number is 844-899-8857 if you listen to the program as a podcast you can leave us a voicemail at the same Number. If you call in right now, though, we'll probably have to take your uh, phone after we get off of the radio. See, we continue to we we continue the show for like an hour and a half after we get off the radio uh, online. So you'll have to find us online to get the rest of the show. You can go to YouTube, the Valley Labor Report, Facebook, the Valley Labor Report. One of these days, we have a TikTok now. We got a TikTok, TVLRFM. Um, and one of these days we're going to be going live on TikTok as well, but uh, not today. You can only see the little clips that we've got on the TikTok. But, um, but yeah, so I would highly recommend, if you're listening to us on the radio, that you find us on YouTube and, uh, and you continue listening to the show. Because let's be real, uh, nothing else of value is going to come on after us. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the same. You listen to conservative talk radio all week. I mean, come on. Like how, you know, how much do you really need? How much do you really need? Do you really need another hour and a half or do you want to hear something you want to keep hearing something different for an hour and a half? You want to spice up your life. And we have Get out of your echo chamber. We have a uh, Louise Leon coming Louise on. Louise Leon is going to be talking about the Amazon labor union. And he's doing some of the best reporting oh, dude, in great. the country on this. Awesome um, stuff. Great, great stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, we don't have enough time. Uh, we'll talk about abortion next week, uh, and it'll be like a main show topic, I think. I think it's I think it's important enough for a main show topic. So we'll try to uh, get that in next week. Um, but, man, to, primary elections are Tuesday, and um, not great. So, uh, <laughs> whoo! Yeah, I mean, we did ask about this, uh, I think, multiple times with chair england uh but the reality is there's a lot of us who if we want to have any influence whatsoever on local politics we're going to be voting in the gop primary on tuesday um Mm -hmm. you know i've talked to a lot of people who said hey i'm voting republican for the first time ever because that's the only way i will get to vote for who's my district attorney who is my sheriff um and, you know, or in some cases, they just want to vote against Casey Wardinsky, uh, which I can't blame them for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, it's so and it's but the the thing is, is that they're all the damn same. I mean, it's, well, you have. Well, oh, OK. Geez. So you have bigots who pander to big business and then you have the big business types who pander to bigots. Uh, you know, kind of a distinction without much of a difference, but for governor, you've got KIV, which is probably the big business pandering to the bigots. You've got Tim James, <laughs> vice versa. You've got Lindy Blanchard, Lindy Blanchard, who is endorsed by Mike Pillow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now that's really what I want to know. Who's the pillow guy yeah, behind? Now that's, that's right. you know, when I go to the polling booth. Now I'm. I'm not understanding. So I, she was, she was for, she was running for U.S. Senate, and she was running as Linda Blanchard, and everybody has totally that's been memory hold, and all the Republicans are respecting her change of name, and I'm not understanding that because her birth certificate says Linda, and but they're all calling her Lindy. That's not scientific. That's it seems that it seems like political correctness to me. Seems like everybody's been eaten by this virus of political correctness. I'm not going to call her Lindy. Her name is Linda. It's on her birth certificate, damn it. <laughs> We've also got Dean Odell running for governor, who is a flat earther, legitimate, I mean, not on his, on his campaign website, a flat earther. He was interviewed like he was a serious candidate by No Spew 1819 News. He also thinks we should have a military coup. I mean, not not like, okay, I think the election was stolen and we should do something about it once we take power again, blah, blah, blah. We should uh, reforms. This guy reckons the military should execute Joe Biden and take over the presidency again on his campaign website. This dude, he like saw a clip of Myanmar. <laughs> And, and he was, was like, like, hey, this try that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's cool, man. We've also got Lou Burdett, who is like, I don't know. He seems normal. He just seems like your normal, like over-the-mountain yeah. Republican type. Uh, there are a couple of other more fringe candidates. Um, there's a Donald Jones, I believe, who's like very pro-yoga, interestingly enough, as a Republican. And then there's Dave Thomas, who's a... He was a small town mayor who, uh, 
you know, hasn't run a very strong campaign. He came out strong on marijuana legalization, which that's that's an interesting angle to take in the Republican primary, but he hasn't gotten any traction. So for U.S. Senate, we've got Katie Britt running, who is endorsed by every single council of bosses you can think. We've got Mike Durant running, who who has attacked his sister for coming forward about abuse coming forward about incest and he's a carpetbagger i think pretty sure he doesn't even live in alabama got mo brooks who's been endorsed by marjorie taylor green for congress in the fifth district we've got dale strong uh wardinsky was endorsed by uh is it he's like a pedophile enabler jim jordan Wardinsky wants to abolish DHS, though. That's an interesting... Broken clock right twice a day kind of thing. Uh, If you missed our takedown of Casey Wardinsky a couple weeks ago, definitely check Check that that out. out. Um, You got Paul Sanford. I don't know anything about him. There's an interesting guy running for state house in District 2 in Muscle Shoals, Terrence Ireland. I don't know. Maybe check him out. Some Democrats are running. Will Boyd is is fine, I guess. Or he is. He's good. He's a friend of labor. So, I mean, that's about that's about it. Uh. <laughs> uh, Alabama Rise did put out a voting guide that if you're not sure yet about making your plan to vote, where your polling place is, or you know you want to check out a sample ballot, all that stuff, check out Alabama Rise. Just go to their website. They have a voting guide. They'll uh, point you in the right direction. Yep. Find us online. Uh, find us for overtime. Uh, we're going to be talking to Luis Leon about the Amazon Labor Union. Until next week, all power to the workers. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.